I wonder how many billions of times that song has been sung since it was written 250 years ago. I wonder if that former slave trader, John Newton, had any idea of the impact of this song on the church. Uh, John Newton, very much like his spiritual ancestor, Saul of Tarsus, had an about-face moment. Uh, John Newton was part of the slave trade, and he ended up encountering God in a storm, that storm that brought him within an inch of his life. And he cried out, and he pleaded to God for deliverance, and God spared him, setting him on a new trajectory in life. And it didn't happen overnight, but eventually John Newton left the slave trade and became one of the great champions for ending that atrocity, that dehumanizing, uh, terrible act of the slave trade. And John Newton wrote, Amazing Grace. Well, there's a line in that song that really has a lot to do with our sermon passage this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, if you want to turn in your Bibles. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. And the line from that song that I would like us to focus on this morning is, Was blind, but now I see. Now, blindness in Scripture is often, even when it really is blindness, it's a metaphor for life of living in darkness, a life of captivity to sin. And the, the coming of Jesus and the light that's brought about through Jesus is illuminating, but not just illuminating, it's, it's life-giving. And that's something we'll see in this sermon passage this morning in Matthew 28. So each of the gospel writers has a different take on the resurrection. Uh, they, they look at it from a different perspective, from different angles. They have different audiences. And Matthew certainly brings a different flavor to the resurrection and his point of emphasis has to do with sight. Don't believe me? Well, let's do an exercise together. So I'm going to read Matthew 28, 1 through 10. And the children can do this as well. But I want to invite you to make note, whether in your head or with a pen, of every time you hear a vision word given. Whether it's behold or look. Or see. Well, let's hear the word of God from Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. 
So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings or rejoice. That joy is the root word there. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. May God bless the reading of his word. I wonder what was going on in their minds that morning. Whenever they made that trek in the darkness. I wonder what those women were thinking whenever they woke up early in the morning and and started to pack their things to make that journey to the tomb. I wonder why they were going to the tomb in the first place. Now the other gospel accounts, Mark and Luke, the narrator tells us that they brought spices with them and they brought these spices to anoint the body of Jesus. And it's implied that they didn't have time to do this because Jesus died on a Friday afternoon and then there was the Sabbath day of rest and then Sunday morning they came bringing spices to anoint the body. But isn't it interesting that Matthew doesn't mention spices at all? Not that they weren't there, not that that's not what they were doing, but Matthew, well, he gives a different emphasis. He says... They went to see the tomb. That's it. They went to see the tomb. And the question we have to ask is why? Why did they go and see the tomb? I thought about that this week. And it's important to try to imagine what these women and really what all the disciples were experiencing in that moment... As the women traveled in the darkness of the tomb, that darkness really captures the mood of the disciples. That that intense grief that they were experiencing. Not just grief for the loss of a friend and a mentor and their teacher, but really the loss of hope. The loss of their dream. The dreams for Israel. They thought they had found the one. They were sure that this was the Messiah of promise. They saw the miracles. They heard the teachings. The disciples had dropped their nets and left their homes. They devoted their lives to follow this teacher, this prophet, their Messiah. But all that came crashing down on that Friday afternoon. All of that came crashing down in a very devastating and humiliating way. Jesus died the most humiliating death you could die in that time period, the death of a criminal. As it turns out, Jesus had died just like the other false messiahs before him. All those leaders of all those rebellions, it all ended up in the same place. It all ended up on a Roman cross. The Romans were experts at squashing out rebellion. So what do you do with that as a follower of Christ? What do you do with that confusion, that disorientation, that grief, that sorrow? Well, you go and see the tomb. Now, maybe these women wanted some closure. 
some closure that was robbed of them because of the Sabbath day rest. But I have to wonder if these women were not going to the tomb because, well, they really had to do something. Sometimes in the face of tragedy, and some of you have experience with this, probably a lot of you, most of you have experience with this, there comes a point where you feel like you have to do something, so let's go and see the tomb. Why? Because we need to move. We need to go. We need to linger and grieve and cry. We need to do something. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced a tragedy that left you frozen in your tracks and you sit down and you're not sure what to do? You're just trying to get your mind around what just happened. You're trying to make sense of something that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's that intense mixture of Sorrow and confusion. And maybe like the women on the way to the tomb, you feel like you just got to do something. You don't really know what to do. Even if it doesn't make a lot of sense, you need to get moving. You need to go to the tomb or the cemetery or the hospital or wherever. You just have to do something. I have a story to share about something that happened to our family recently. Some of you have heard it already. But we had our own experience with terror and shock. It happened right after the Eastside worship back in January. On the way home, I got a phone call from my dad. And I asked him, how's it going? And he said... It's not good, son. And immediately, I knew someone had died. And he told me what happened. So around 5.30 p.m., he and my mom were traveling traveling to Pleasanton, Texas, which is where my wife happens to be from. They were having an area-wide singing there. And they were traveling on Highway 97. And just outside of Floresville, Texas... Something hit their Suburban. My mom thought it was a flat tire. Dad said, no, I think we hit something. Probably hit a dog. Wouldn't be the first time. So they turned around and they went a half a mile up the road and they saw something in the middle of the road. Dad pulled over, got out to examine it. And the closer he got to it, he realized that it was not an it. It wasn't a dog that they hit. It was a two-year-old boy. Dead. Dad said he looked like a little doll. His eyes were open. Wasn't breathing. He scooped him up went to the side of the road, and the way Dad describes it, he was just screaming, screaming to God. Raw emotion. The little boy's older brother and sister heard the screaming, and they came running out, and 
they saw what had happened. They were supposed to be watching over him, and their little brother had snuck out and ran into the road. And then they started to scream, and the father heard the commotion. He ran out and saw his lifeless son, and he joined in the wailing. And he scooped up his son, and he started to pat him on the head, just for minutes. Two families who didn't know each other, crying out to God. Trying to make sense of something that makes no sense. The first responders came a few minutes after that tragedy. The EMS, the DPS. They surrounded the little boy. One of the officers looked at him and then went straight to my dad and put his hand on his shoulder and said, you need to talk to a counselor tomorrow because you're going to have post-traumatic stress. But right as he said that, there was a little noise. And all of a sudden, there was a commotion. And they rushed the little boy, put him on the ambulance, and took off for the hospital. The only information my dad had was the name of the boy and the hospital. And in that phone call, dad said, there's no way. There's no way that little boy is alive. I saw him. He was dead. That night was a restless night for the Johansson family. My dad didn't sleep. Uh, I woke up on the hour. I would wake up and kind of pinch myself. Did that just happen? Kind of replay the phone call. And when I realized, yes, that really happened, I would pray. And fall back asleep and then do the same thing hour after hour. And I found out my wife did the same thing. And my kids were praying. And the next morning, while it was still dark, Dad got ready to go to the hospital, not knowing what was on the other side, but expecting the worst. That was perhaps the longest 30-minute drive of his life, driving there to the hospital staring out into the darkness. I'm staring at these Easter lilies that I almost dropped earlier. And it's the reminder on Easter of the day of celebration. The day of great hope. The day of the resurrection. The day that really is the center of our faith when something new happened and broke into this world, but... As important as and central as the empty tomb is to our faith, we have to spend a little time on that road to the hospital. We have to spend a little time on the road with those women who are walking to go see the tomb. We have to spend a little time with the grief and the sorrow and the confusion of Good Friday and that Sabbath day. I know it sounds a little strange, but sometimes we can be in too big of a hurry to get to Easter and gloss over those 48 hours, those hours of a, a living nightmare for the disciples. Who wants to linger there? Who wants to linger at the cross 
the place of broken dreams and the place of humiliation and dashed hopes. Who wants to reside with those two wooden beams of torture and shame? Who wants, to, who wants to join those women alongside the road to the tomb in the darkness and despair? Going to see the tomb because they probably felt like they had to be doing something. We have people in this room who know what that's like. But the truth is, unless we linger at the cross and spend time with the heartbroken disciples on that Sabbath day before Easter, then that, that thunderous announcement of up from the grave he arose, well, that becomes muffled. We don't hear it as clearly if we don't spend some time there. It's as the psalmist says in Psalm 30, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Well, sometimes we have to spend a little time in the night to appreciate the joy of the morning. And for those women who left early in the morning to see the tomb, the place of death, they saw something else. They encountered someone else. There at the empty tomb, and their sorrow, their weeping was turned not just into joy, but the Greek says, mega joy, great joy, joy. And as Matthew is telling us, not so subtly, joy that comes from this light, joy that comes from this illumination. Those women arrived at the tomb in blindness. And they walked away with great sight as the rays of the dawn broke in through the darkness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is what the empty tomb is all about. Was blind, but now I see. We see God's purposes for this world in the empty tomb. The resurrection is the lens through which we read the story of Scripture and the story of our lives. New creation has broken in. My dad seems to be a magnet for strange things that happened to him. My mom started to keep a list of all the bizarre things. We have called each other once a week ever since I was in college. And inevitably in the conversation, he'll say something like this. You'll never believe what happened to me this week. And I'll say, I bet I won't. Nothing compares to what we experienced a couple of months ago. That trip to the hospital was excruciating for him. He had not slept. He feared the worst. When he walked through the doors of the hospital, he found a nurse and told her the story. And she said, follow me. I know where to take you. She wasn't an angel, uh, like, like lightning, who had clothes as white as snow. But she was a messenger nonetheless, taking him to the room where the family was. And as he walked in, there in the hospital bed was the little boy. Asleep. 
And the mother was right next to him. And the mother saw my dad, and she rushed to him, and they embraced. And she said six words that our family will never forget. He is going to be okay. I know some of you are counting right now. He is going to be okay. I thought it would be more dramatic if she would have said, He is risen. (laughs) But we settled for, He's going to be okay. Our family believes that we witnessed a resurrection. That boy is going to be okay. A few broken bones. No head trauma. He's too young to remember this. He won't remember it. But I have the feeling that God has something big in store for this little boy. But the reason why I shared that story this morning is because, well, first of all, I have a testimony. And when you witness God's activity in your life, you testify to it. There's a story to tell. I knew the second that dad told me he is going to be okay, that I had an Easter sermon that was writing itself. But also, I wanted to share this story for those who find themselves on the dark road this morning. Carrying the pain of grief, the sting of death, the trauma of trial. Perhaps you look out into the void and you're staring out into uncertainty. Life between Good Friday and Easter can be very difficult. But if you look up into the sky, even though it may be dark, I bet if you look close enough, you'll be able to see the rays of the sun breaking through the clouds. Because on a Sunday morning, the tomb was found empty. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We come here with all different things going on in our lives. But we come just as we are. We are an open book with God. Even if we think we're hiding something, God searches hearts. He searches minds. God knows. God knows what's going on. We come just as we are, broken and sinful, sorrowful. But we come to this place and we come to this table and we experience something together as a church family a new trajectory in life, renewed hope, renewed vision. We come to the tomb in blindness. We walk away from the empty tomb with sight. May we hear the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning, crucified and risen, as we move toward the dawn.
If you would like to respond to the good news of our Lord Jesus, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.